We all go through hardship. We get it. If you've lived on the earth the last three years, we all really, really get it. But the way you walk through hardship largely determines the kind of person that you are becoming and the person that you will become. My guest today, Amy Walker, shares how you can thrive in hardship. Yes, you can thrive in hardship. A lot of it comes down to the way that you think, the core values you carry into the struggle, and the way you process what you walk through. In the book of James, he tells us to consider it pure joy when we go through difficulties because the purpose of difficulty is to forge us into a mature, complete, wonderful person. And so in today's episode, Amy Walker, whose accent, by the way, is delicious and is going to make you want to play this episode on repeat. She is from New Zealand and she shares so much wisdom. That's another reason you're going to want to put this episode on repeat. There are so many nuggets that will help you the next time you're going through something difficult or if you find yourself in the middle of something difficult right now. So let's jump in. It is full of hope. It'll inspire you to dream again and you'll find yourself feeling so equipped for the next challenging situation you may face. Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenna Lee Samuel. On this show, I bring the simplicity of hearing God's voice into everyday life in a no-nonsense, authentic, and super practical way. With coffee in hand and real life in our faces, let's do this. Hey, you guys, thanks so much for coming back to another episode at Java with Jen. Today's guest is coming to us literally from the other side of the world in Auckland, New Zealand, which, uh, fun story, is actually one of the nations that my podcast has charted in and is also was one of my favorite missions trips growing up. And specifically, I lived in Auckland for two (laughs) months. It was just amazing. And so Amy Walker is my guest today. Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show with me. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege. Absolutely. So um, I had Amy on here because one of the messages and and, uh, stories that she likes to speak into are are life principles, rather, is how to thrive in hardship. And Amy, you wrote a book. Remind me the title. I read it, but I don't remember the title of it. But I Flourish, Learn to Thrive in Every Season. Oh, that's so good. But I flourish. And I loved it. I didn't get through the whole book, but I got through the first third of it or so. And man, I was like, I was reading it and I was like, oh, I feel like she's writing a book from my life. You know, like it was so good. I just identified with so much of it. But in it, you talk about um, your experience in ministry and and how you got into authoring. And Mm -hmm. I did not read a bio for you. So why don't you, before I dive into all my questions, share a little bit about who you are and, uh, where you come from and all of that. Yeah. So I am Auckland born and bred and um, I've been married to my husband, Dave, for just over 21 years. And we met when I was sweet 16 and he was 24. So it was quite the scandal. And now (laughs) as the mother of a 16 year old, I think, wow, my parents were really brave and obviously (laughs) sensed that the Lord's hand was in it because I don't know if I would be that brave. (laughs) Right. um, You know, I'm really grateful for him. He's an amazing man who has always championed my call to ministry. Um, Mm. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I've always been passionate about the church. But my journey to actually, like, being in ministry was a little bit more complicated. I ended up, after high school, going to university and getting a law and arts degree. 
and um, thinking actually that I would be a journalist and a news anchor. Um, But somewhere along the way, I realized actually I didn't have a passion for practicing law or being a journalist, that I (sighs) wanted to serve God in the church. And so um, I served for a volunteer as a volunteer for a large number of years and then in an admin role while I waited. I want to say I waited patiently, but the truth was I did not wait very well at that point in time. I <laughs> desperately wanted to be a pastor. And while I was in the process of getting credentialed within our movement, I was not in a pastoral role in my own church. And so um, let's just say God taught me a lot in that season about waiting and trusting his timing. And eventually I did move into pastoring and I was the associate pastor at our local church for about five years. And then God asked me to lay it all down. And it was honestly like my dream job. And he just asked me to trust that ministry could take a different shape for a season And he called me to be at home full time. Um, I'd never worked full time since I'd had the kids. I'd always done it, you know, a couple of days at home and a couple of days in the church. And um, he was like, no, you've got to be home full time for a season. And he actually called us to homeschool, which had been on my never list. Um, I've learned don't say never to God too often (laughs) because (laughs) chances are you'll end up doing it. But we ended up homeschooling for about four years. And um, it actually has been a highlight of my parenting journey and Mm. really can see now that God knew the challenges that one of our children was going to face and that he wanted to protect them and that homeschooling and um, being at home was the very best thing for them in their middle school years and that we were able to really shelter them. So, you know, God knows. He knows what's coming even when we don't. But yeah, it was a real act of trust to lay down those credentials and lay down that role that I had worked a really long time to get into. Um, And out of that, God opened doors for writing and ministering to women. And um, I believe there'll be a call back to pastoring at some point. I'm in the process of my credentials being reinstated within my movement, but I don't know what it will look like and I don't know when God will give me the green light. But yeah, the the local church and helping to be part of building it is a huge passion for me. And one of the ways that I do that at the moment is I established an online discipleship ministry, just really equipping women to know God and to love him wholeheartedly called the Devoted Collective. So that's um, a huge part of what I'm doing in this season and yeah and just mumming we've got four kids who range from seven to 28 so all the ages and stages <laughs> and life is busy and full and I love that your podcast is called Java with Jen because basically my life is fueled by coffee and Jesus yeah <laughs> probably yeah, that's about Jesus and coffee but you know right <laughs> That's so good. So I love actually speaking of Java with Jen and the the vibe of my podcast is is hearing God's voice for everyday life. Mm-hmm. And even as you and I talked before this episode, um, that's what I heard come out of the all these different aspects of your life. And even in reading your book, and there's you guys listen, there's so much more in her book. And her book is a really easy read in that she keeps you engaged and her story is compelling and it's something that's so relevant. Um, and so I would encourage you to check out her book, but 
even in the, both the book and the things you've shared, I could see that woven throughout of how essential hearing God's voice and, and being led by his spirit was even Mm. in those hard moments. And even when he asked you to do difficult things, like lay down this dream job, you know, just like kind of reminds me of Abraham and Isaac, you know, (laughs) (laughs) thankfully we know how that turned out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the funny thing was, is, um, you know, the church that we were pastoring and my parents had planted and they weren't the senior pastors at the time that I moved on, but I was studying Abraham's life at the time, writing a Bible study on it. And I really did feel like God say, I'm asking you, just like I asked Abraham to leave his father's house and I didn't, he didn't know what was coming next. I'm asking you to leave your father's house, to leave the place that your earthly father built and established and that you have helped to, to grow I'm asking you to leave it and to trust that I know where I'm taking you. And yeah, yeah, so like Abraham's story in that season of being stripped back and being asked to let go of things, you know, it's one thing when you know what's next, but I didn't, I didn't know what was next. And it's really only now, like seven years later that God's beginning to weave all those things. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's why, oh, that's what you were preparing me for. But at the time I was like, no idea. I'm just. I'm just leaving. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like we always, no matter how, like I've always considered myself a hundred just based on like just how I'm built. Like trusting the Lord is, has been my instinct since I was a child, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think the Lord could ask me to do anything that I wouldn't trust He's gonna work it for my good until I found myself in a situation where I was like how are you a good God if this is what you're asking me to walk through, you know? And I feel like, I feel like we'll always have to face down, which kind of brings me to something Mm -hmm. you were talking about of like our core beliefs and how, how essential our core beliefs and what we believe about God and and the word of God and things like that Mm -hmm. are to us walking through in a thriving way, these seasons of hardship and how those core beliefs are both essential and they're, established in those seasons. So do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we see it in Hebrews, don't we? Where we're told that hope is an anchor for our souls and Mm -hmm. the believers that were being written to, they were weary, they were being persecuted, like talk about a hard season. And the writer of Hebrews invites them to flee to hope to find refuge. And we might think of hope as like, it's a little bit wishy-washy, you know, like I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope that I'll see you at that event, but that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of God's goodness. And the writer of Hebrews says, if you can have a confident expectation that God is good, that what he does is good, and that he will be good to you, it will be like an anchor. You might drift a little bit in the storm, but ultimately you're not going to be moved. You're going to be held secure. You're still going to be standing. You're still going to be in place at the end of the storm because you have this anchor, and this anchor is what you believe about who God is. And I think the thing that I learned, um, the book is largely based on the decade of sort of like my early 20s through to my early 30s. For context, I am soon turning 41. So, you know, it was a while back, but it was a decade in which God really forged these core beliefs in me. Like, do I believe God is good? 
And do I believe that what he does is good and that he'll be good to me? And so I would say that's one of the core beliefs that we have to be really convinced of that our circumstances don't get to tell us who God is. It's not up for debate. It's not negotiable because if we will believe the stuff that's happening isn't good, but God, I believe you are good so you can bring something good through it. If I will stay anchored to you, then we're not going to be... I think when we don't think God is good and then the second core belief I would say that's really important is if we doubt that we're loved by him, we're like on this constant roller coaster as we go through these hard things. Whereas if we can be settled in that truth that God is good and that we are loved, we're held. There's a stability as we navigate these stormy waters. And I think the other image that Paul gives us in Ephesians 3 for core beliefs is He prays that we would have power to understand the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for us. And he says it's basically immeasurable. You can't wrap your head around it, but you need to be rooted and established in it so that you can grow up into the fullness of God. And so I think the thing that I've learned is if there's only two things that I hold on to when I'm going through a hard season, that's enough. God is good. And I am deeply, immeasurably loved by him. And my circumstances don't get to tell me otherwise. If I can keep those two core beliefs, then I will be steady in my storms. And yeah, those two things I had to wrestle for in my 20s. Anytime anything went wrong, I was like, I must be such a terrible person. God must just be like punishing me you know I really didn't have a revelation of a good father who deeply loves his children and yes because he loves his children he will discipline them and he will correct them and he will redirect them but it's always done from a place of love always done because he's desiring wholeness and freedom and the fullness of God to be growing in our lives and so once I kind of understood that, it changed how I went through hard places. And actually, when I wrote the book, um, it was the first year one of our children had, you know, we didn't realize it at the time, but had always struggled with anxiety. We put it down to their big creative personality that life was either good or bad and there was kind of no in between but what became really apparent in the year that I was writing the book was actually like this was anxiety and they reached an Mm -hmm. age and stage where it became crippling and all-consuming and spiraled into depression and self-harm and suicidal ideation and it was really like really intense painful painful parenting season you know, none of us want to watch our kids suffer like that. And what I saw, though, is that these truths were firmly established in my life, not just for me, but I also was able to believe them for my child, that God, you can bring good from this for them, and that they're loved by you, you love them even more than I do. And so those core beliefs have enabled me not just to trust God with my own hard places, But the hard places that the people that I love and I want to fix things for have to navigate as well. And so if you can believe two things, if you can take two things from this podcast episode, God is good and you are deeply and measurably loved no matter what is happening in your circumstances, then I think those two things can transform 
hard seasons in your life. And now correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I know from my experience, and I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with this, is that those core beliefs are essential in walking through those seasons, but equally essential is that you have to walk through those seasons for those core beliefs to be established yeah. Yeah. so firmly, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I know I can think back on my life where I was like, yeah, of course I, I love God. And I was so from childhood intrinsically bent to trust the Lord yeah. until I faced these, these moments that I'm like, apparently that was a deal breaker type of a situation yeah. for me that I didn't realize I had on the radar, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and and at first I, it kind of threw me for a loop. Like, where is my Christianity? Like, what is wrong with me? I've always trusted the Lord, you know, it brings up all these issues. But now in retrospect, which I feel like is always the key phrase now in retrospect, I can look back and see the goodness of the Lord and see his kindness and see his compassion that I encountered and all these different things. And so I feel like you actually touched on that a bit. Uh, in your book where you talked about your nephew that you guys had adopted. It sounds like your story with your nephew fostering, and you can share it a little bit, was was gut-wrenching. But that's also a place where you now can look back and see the goodness of the Lord was established. Yeah, it was definitely a really hard season. Um, It was an unexpected thing that God called us to foster him for a couple of years. And we thought it was a forever thing. And um, he ended up being placed actually in a series of homes that weren't right and that was just so utterly painful to watch and then God positioned him in a family where the couple had got married later in life and the wife had been given a prophetic word in her 20s that she would be married and she would have a family. She got married at 47 and at 50 they adopted our nephew and they are just the most godly, loving couple that you could imagine. And he has thrived in their home. But there were moments there where it was like, what on earth are you doing, Lord? And yet once we knew the full story, the timing, the way everything moved around, it was like God's hand was there redeeming everything. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned about these core beliefs is they actually do require us to be willing to take a long view because we are instant people. And when you look at God across scripture, he often works generationally and he continues to work outside of time. And just because we don't understand something right now, or we don't see how it's going to fit right now, we can trust that he sees the beginning from the end and that he actually has all of time to redeem and to outwork his good and his glorious purposes in our family lines and in our church family lines. And so I think believing in the goodness of God also requires us to stop being instant gratification believers and to be like those people that are held out to us in Hebrews 11 who, you know, we're told they didn't always get to possess what was promised, but they didn't give up in what was promised. They still believed that God was able. And so I think, as we talk about holding on to core beliefs, we're going to have testimonies in this life where we get to, like with my nephew, look back and go, oh, wow, God, you were so good. You know, like for context, if we hadn't taken him in when we did, um, one of our South Island cities, Christchurch, had horrific 
um, had a horrific earthquake and he would have been in that city in a really unprotected family environment. He suffered huge anxiety. Um, He would have been there when that happened, but God had moved him up to us. And so we could just see in God's timing and the way God moved him around that there was purpose and there was protection over his life. And so there's going to be those stories where we get to see here and now how God wrapped it up with a nice tidy bow and how he redeemed it all. And then there's other things that we're going to have to say, you know, Lord, I'm going to have to trust you with my family line and I'm going to have to trust that you are good and you're going to bring something good out of this, even if I can't see it right now. Have you ever faced a situation where you didn't know what to do and you wished that God could just speak from heaven and tell you exactly what you needed to do so success was sure? What if you could hear God's voice for yourself? What if you knew each morning when you woke up that he was literally waiting just to talk with you about your day and what is going on with your life at the moment? This would entirely change your view of God, possibly, but for sure your relationship with him. Who wouldn't want that? If you've never heard God speak to you, this book, Listen, is for you. If you normally do all or most of the talking when you pray, this book is also for you. If you want to stop and really listen to what God wants to say to you, then this book is for you too. If you simply want a way to explore new terrain with the Lord and deepen your relationship with Him, this book is for you. This is not seven steps to learn how to hear God's voice or hearing God speak for dummies. It is less of a how-to manual and more of an experiential workbook. You're invited to see part of Alan's journey to listen, encouraged to listen yourself, and then given space to capture what you believe God is saying to you that day in light of what you discover along the journey. So take the next 63 days to listen first for the voice of God and watch your relationship with Him be transformed in a huge way. And side note, if you have people that you want to get a meaningful gift for for Christmas this year or for a birthday or a holiday, and you just don't know what to get, this book, especially if they're a believer, would be perfect. Teaching anyone how to hear God's voice and making space for them to do that is literally a life-transforming opportunity. So don't miss out. Go check out alanchapin.com and grab the book Listen, or you can find it on Amazon as well. All right, back to our episode. Yeah, so good. And I feel like even you you brought this out in your book, but I, but it's in scripture and I I feel like this is such a great picture of that is when David, King David as a little shepherd boy, um was doing this menial task of shepherding, you know, and now with that menial task came some terrifying moments <laughs> where he had to kill lions and bears and tigers, oh my, you know, like he had to kill off these huge beasts that were threatening his sheep, but it came with the job. And he was a faithful shepherd boy, you know, but in that faithfulness, he didn't know that the qualities that would be needed for the Lord to use him in greatness were being developed. So that courage that it took for him to a trust the Lord to cover him and to protect him and, and his confidence in the Lord's goodness was actually what gave him the courage to bring down the lion, bring down the bear, and also gave him the skills. He used the slingshot. And then when Goliath came along, 
His his character was fortified. His belief in the Lord was fortified and his skills were established so that he could bring down the giant. And I feel like that's such a picture of, of where walking through those challenging moments equip us with everything that we need. I'm sure he was scared crapless at times when especially the first time a line came around, like, what do I do? You know, like he was probably a little freaked out. Um, and then, but then when you look at how the Israelites responded, I mean, there are soldiers, if anything, they should have been mentally equipped to handle a Goliath, but their perspective was what was wrong. They weren't fortified in the core value of God's goodness. They were fortified in the core value of weapons of warfare, man's weaponry, you know? So speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I love about David is later on in his life when he faced another battle, we're told that he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I think that this is one of the things that David knew how to do. He knew how to keep his relationship with God protected. And Mm. there was a humility about him, you know, like his life is far from perfect you know we're probably all familiar with some of his pitfalls you know Bathsheba killing Bathsheba's husband and even just his inability at times to confront some of the sin with his own children like he was far from perfect and yet in it all we see that he just kept turning his heart towards God there was a humility there was a hunger for God and that shaped everything and it built trust and it built resilience and it equipped him for the different battles that he faced. And I think one of the things that I have learned as we go through life in general, but as we navigate some of these hard places, is we need to stick close to Jesus. Um, We need to be hearing what it is that he is saying because, Mm -hmm. you know, if we think about that battle with Goliath, you know, not only were there all the voices saying, you know, how big Goliath was he had his brothers putting him down with the king Saul trying to get him to do it his way and put on his armor so he had so many voices around him speaking to the fear of Goliath putting him down telling him how he should do it and he strips it all away and he goes out in the name of the Lord and he sees what God is seeing. Like they saw this giant and he saw a filthy Philistine who dared to defy the armies of God. And I think it's really critical as we go through life and particularly hard seasons that are shaking us to be asking the question, God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing here? And to be leaning into that, I like to call it the but God perspective and it's constantly modeled to us by David and the different psalmists where they get real about what they're afraid of, what they're frustrated by, what they don't understand, what is causing them grief and anguish. And they lament and they wrestle and they ask God questions. And then they say, but God, you are. And I think we often do it the other way around. We're like, oh God, you're so amazing. I love you so much, but you just don't know how hard my life is right now. Mm-hmm. And we get it around the wrong way. And it's like, mm-hmm. we have to face the reality of our circumstances. We have to name the Goliaths. They are giants. They are hard. They are scary. But then we need to come back to that core belief. Not only is God good, he's all powerful. He's almighty. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We know the end of the story. And we have to let the truth of who he is and all that he has done 
shape our perspective of our circumstances and then from that place of intimacy and abiding of knowing how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord we need to say God what do you see what do you say I'm going to partner with that that's what's going to shape my actions and you know as we've I've been in a caregiver role for much of the last two and a half years it's really only been in the last like three months that I've started to transition out of that role with our child as they've experienced a measure of healing and you know one of the fundamentally transforming things of navigating the pain of parenting a child suffering in that way has been the words and the pictures that God has graciously given through people mm-hmm. who have been praying for us um, and they're all unknown to each other but there's been a common theme and a common thread of what they have said to us God sees for our child and so as we've navigated what has felt like really hopeless waters at times and there's been a lot of grief and a lot of lament and a lot of wrestle of like why our child and why can't you just like do that Lord and save (laughs) save them from the suffering you know all those those wrestles and those questions and you know the grief of what it's meant for our wider family and children and um But knowing what the Lord sees as the end has transformed how I've parented. It's sustained me on the really hard, bleak days. And it's brought a power and a hope to my praying because it's like, okay, Lord, the enemy is going to try and tell me that this is their future, but you've told me what their future is. And so that's what I believe. That's what I contend for. That's what I trust you to bring about. And that's what I'm going to partner with with you and I'm not getting into agreement with the lies of the enemy because we know he's a thief he comes to steal kill and destroy and um you know David wrote Psalm 23 and the valley was where the water was but it was also where the predators would lie in wait for the sheep to come and drink from that water and so the valleys always have the potential to be the place that we drink of God's living water and we're refreshed and we're sustained and we're equipped for our journey or to be a place where we're picked off by the enemy. Mm. And we have to guard our hearts. And that's why those core beliefs are so important. Because Mm. if you're in that valley and you're like, I don't know if you're actually that good God, and I don't know if I'm that loved, and I don't know actually if you're able to give me a future and a hope, the enemy is going to pick you off. And so we have to have that awareness about those hard places and we have to be intentional about sticking close to the Lord. And the other thing that I would say is if you are tired and you are too weary and you just feel like it is too hard for me to pursue the Lord right now, stick close to the sheep that stick close to the Lord and let them carry you through. Because, you know, um, I remember the first time that our child had a really serious um, self-harm episode and it was the first time we were under the crisis team, that very week I had to go and speak at a day retreat. I had put the event on, like I was it. I couldn't like cancel it or we would have lost thousands and we were just not in a position to do that. So I had to like suit up and go and pour into people for a day I was actually speaking on Psalm 23 when inside I was just grieving and so empty the prayers of other people carried me that week 
the care, the practical care of other people carried me that week and God ministered to me through them when I was like consumed with the day-to-day tasks of caring for my child. So I would say two things, guard your relationship with the Lord. And when you're in those tired, weary, discouraging seasons, make sure you surround yourself with people who love Jesus and who will speak his truth and, and be his hands and his feet to you in that season because we often try and do our valleys alone and it's just not how God made us to travel. We're made to travel with our shepherd and we're made to travel with the flock. Oh, that's so good. I love that you pointed that out because that, as I, as I reflect back on seasons where I was like so weary on the inside that even, even praying, all I could muster was help. Like just help, like just like, I didn't have anything beyond that. Just help, you know? And, and I remember feeling in my heart, like, I don't even want to go to church right now, but I'm terrified not to go to church because I felt the vulnerability of my position, you know, of my, of, of the condition that I was in. It was so vulnerable. And I knew that if I didn't go to be around the people of God and, and get the word around me and hopefully some would get in me, you know, that like, that was going to be the saving grace, you know, because I, I, it was like, I could feel the enemy sitting there waiting to just chew me up, you know? And, um, and it was, it was a private battle, but man, I'm, I was so grateful. And that if any time of my life, I was aware how important it was that I was at church, that was it. And, um, so I love that you just, that you just called that out. And I think it's something we see with David because we're told not only did he strengthen himself in the Lord, we're told on another episode that Jonathan came and strengthened him in the Lord. And so it's not one or the other. Like if you if you're only strong in God because of what other people do for you, that's not going to be enough. But equally, like we're human and we're frail and we do get tired and we do get weary. So it can't always all be on us knowing how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. It's both. It's yeah. both and. Um, we have to know how to connect with God, how to draw on his strength, how to, you know, guard our intimacy. And the thing that I would say, if you, you know, I think as mums, like often there are just so many people that we're caring for, so many people that we're pouring out into and being asked to maintain a relationship with God can feel like you're asking me to care about another person. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like just being really honest, we're like, I am like crawling into bed at the end of the day and I don't even know if I got to shower or if I finished a cup of coffee or, you know, like there are seasons like that as mums where we are giving out to so many people that being asked to pour into a relationship with God feels like, oh, you're just asking me the impossible. And (laughs) my own mum encouraged me with a verse in Isaiah. And at the time when she first said it, I just thought it was one of my mums saying, she used to say to me, Amy, God gently leads those with young. And I'd be like, oh, I was just thinking of that verse. Really nice, mom. And then when I found it in the in the Bible, I was like, oh, she's actually been telling me scripture all these years. But, but I love how it says he gently leads those with young and he actually picks them up and he carries them close to his heart. And I think there are seasons where we just need to let Jesus carry us. And that might look like help prayers, you know, for me. The way I slept a lot of the those two years was I would literally hop into bed and I'd say, Jesus, I need to sleep tonight. And I would physically imagine myself handing him my child to hold as if he wasn't already holding them already anyway. But like right, for right. me, I would like physically 
I take the response of ca- responsibility of carrying them off of myself tonight and I hand them over to you, hold them, Jesus, and I would sleep. Um, you know, I think it's things like knowing how you connect with God. Is it a particular worship song? Is it just going and standing outside and staring at a particular tree or letting the breeze blow? Like what is it that you can instantly, quickly connect your heart to God's and actually allow him to just pour into you and you just receive like he's not asking that you make him another thing to do on an already too full list he's asking you he's inviting you to come as a daughter and to let him lavish love and to let him carry you when you need it and to give you the wisdom and the strength and the grace that you need to actually keep growing in hard places and I think one of the things that really encouraged me and again hindsight was part of this is you know we particularly in our western culture like we look at fruitfulness and flourishing and thriving as you know like external markers you know like I've got the house I've got the husband the kids look tidy the bank balance is a certain amount my car is nice my ministry's got a certain following my book's selling you know like whatever it is like we're very like numerical this is the measure that I can say I'm successful and I'm flourishing in And one of the trees that I write about in the book is the palm tree. And the palm tree bears fruit all year round, but the fruit looks different in different seasons and is used for different purposes. So sometimes it's the milk, sometimes the dates aren't quite um, soft enough to eat, but you could make a chutney out of them, you know, and that really encouraged me like, oh, it's actually okay if the fruit looks different in different seasons. And sometimes the fruit of my life is going to be really obvious from the outside and other times it's going to be hidden and only God and I are going to know the fruitfulness. Like we talked about David, nobody saw him out in those fields. You know, the day that he went to Goliath, he was sent there to carry sandwiches to his brothers, you know, like hidden places. But the fruit that God was growing of humility and trust and courage Like those things then became manifest in another season for people to watch. And so I would say don't despise those hidden seasons where God is growing the true fruit, the fruit of the spirit of love and gentleness and patience and kindness and perseverance where he's growing that fruit and only you and him can see that it's happening. There will come seasons where your friends and your loved ones and maybe a platform, who knows, will get to see the beauty of what it is that God has grown in you in that hard place, if you'll just keep drawing near to him. That's, That's so, so good. I'm so glad you highlighted the palm tree because I wanted to pull that in. And and I feel like I wanted, I wanted, before we're out of time, I wanted to touch on, which you and I talked about, the importance of, um, well, in your book, you touched on the danger of resignation yeah. and how when you've walked through a difficult season long enough, you can find yourself getting to the point where you're just kind of so burned out from the journey that you get numb and there can be a resignation that kind of settles into your heart. And I know I could identify with that when I read that. And as we were talking previously you highlighted the difference between resignation and surrender and how to recognize the difference. Because again, you know, we don't function in extremes here. There's, there's a place of wisdom and balance in the middle and that resignation is one extreme end Mm. that is maybe rooted in bitterness and surrender is, is rooted in humility. But why don't you dive into that a little bit? Cause you had a lot of rich insight. Yeah. I think, 
for me, resignation lacks hope. So, you know, the reality of life is God doesn't always instantly change a circumstance. God doesn't always instantly heal. And sometimes he chooses not to heal this side of eternity. And, and the healing happens for our loved ones, you know, on the other side. But I think, and that's the thing. So our faith, believing that the kingdom breaks in here and now, still requires us to live with a tension of now and still yet. And so there are some things that don't get wiped away that we wish did, jobs that we have to stay in and be faithful in when we would really rather be doing something else, you know. And so that that's the reality, is that we all are going to have some things that we have to endure that we would rather not. And to me, resignation in those places looks like Okay, Sarah, Sarah, what will be will be. There's nothing I can do, and this is my lot in life. Mm. It's never going to change, and it's never going to be a good thing, and it's never going to get any better. And so there's a real lack of hope in it. Like it's a death, death of dreaming almost. Yeah, it is. It is a death of dreaming. And for me, that was what happened in my 20s is I stopped dreaming. Um, I actually share about it in the book. I went to, I, we were running a retreat for our church woman and one of my girlfriends was doing a practical dreaming workshop and she was encouraging the woman to make these dream collages. And honestly, my husband was unemployed and depressed and we were struggling to like make ends meet and we were living off the bread boxes that our church gave out. And I remember when she started the, the session thinking, dreaming? Like, I don't even know how I'm paying the rent next week. Like, how can you ask me to dream? And I actually made the excuse that I needed to go and get some things ready for the next session because I was on the team and that I would do this later. Mm. It was actually like a year or two later that I did it because disappointment had so cloaked my heart that I couldn't dream. Mm. And um, I went forward for ministry one night. It was actually soon after our nephew had left our home and I was just really an intense no actually I lie he hadn't left our home it was just a really intense season because he was on my dream collage um and I went and I went out for ministry and this person who didn't know me she just said I just feel like I need to brush I hadn't told her a thing I just need to brush disappointment off your shoulders mm -hmm. and I released you to dream again and um I went home and over a series of weeks, I began to make a dream collage. And, you know, it was just things like I wanted time with my children. I wanted my marriage to flourish. I wanted to be able to be generous and give to people rather than always needing to receive. I wanted to write. I wanted to write books. And the really cool thing is, you know, like I did that in my late 20s. And so many of those things God has graciously allowed me to experience. But resignation robs us of that ability to keep dreaming. Whereas surrender says, you know what, God, you've got me in this season. I acknowledge the reality. It's a Goliath. It's a valley. It's a desert. It is whatever it is, but you're here with me. And because you're here with me, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that in your wisdom and in your goodness, maybe you'll shift this, maybe you won't, but if I have to stay here, you're going to bring something beautiful out of it. You're going to do some good things here that bless me and bless the people around me. And so I'm partnering with you in this hard place and I'm dreaming with you. And, you know, sometimes for me that has looked like being faithful in a role 
you know, like I shared, like I did the admin, um, you know, in the season of being a caregiver, it looked like God had opened a door for me to preach again, even though I wasn't pastoring to be on our church preaching team. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to, well, it was clear. It was like, I can't do this in this season. I have to serve my family. I have to lay these things down, but it's not done in a, well, if I, but if I close that door, I'll never get it again. It's done. Right. Okay, well, this is what you've got in front of me. So I'm going to be faithful to it. I'm going to do it like Colossians tells us is unto the Lord. And I'm going to trust that you'll, you'll bring good from it. So to me, those are the, that's the difference. Surrender keeps hope alive. It's anchored in those core beliefs that we talk about. And so it believes that God is still working, even when the circumstances feel unbearable. That's so that's good. So- I love that. I love that. Okay. So I feel like there's so much wisdom buried in this episode. I'm like, eek, it's so good. Um, but I want to take an opportunity real quick to, again, touch how can my listeners connect with you, um, with your content that you have online, if they just really connected with your heart and your story and the message of your ministry, how can they get a hold of you? And then at the very end, we're going to have our life hacks section <laughs> where you can share your life hack with us. Oh, um, you don't want my life hacks. It's all right. <laughs> I'm really not that organized, but that's all good. <laughs> That's okay. You know, it could be the simplest thing, but share with us first, how can my listeners get a hold of you or even get a hold of this book? Yeah. So the book for those, I imagine most of your listeners are in the States. The best place for them to get the book would be on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, So it's just But I Flourish by Amy Walker. But if you come to the devotedcollective.org, there you will find it in our store and you can find all the links to all the places that you can buy it. So the Devoted Collective is the ministry that I run um, and that's where like I'm sort of pouring my energy into mentoring and discipling and creating content. But I still do have my personal ministry Instagram going, which is just Amy R. Walker. Um, But again, on my team profile page, you can find my Instagram on the Devoted Collective website. So that's probably the easiest place to find all the things, the devotedcollective.org. Otherwise, find me on Instagram at Amy R. Walker, but I'd love to connect. Perfect. That's awesome. And I'll throw um, those important links down in the description so they can find them down there. Okay. So you guys don't go anywhere because we have a life hack from Amy coming in just a moment. Okay, so welcome to Life Hacks. All right, Amy has a couple very simple, but hey, they save time and energy. So Amy, go ahead, share with us what you got. You have to know this about me. I am not the most organized person. I keep my calendar in my head for the entire family, which is backfiring. Um, But I've learned (laughs) a couple of things. One thing, and it's not something I do religiously, but I'm really working on it because when I do it, it changes how the mornings run. And that is setting up the night before for success. So having my quiet time stuff out and um, the lunch is made and knowing where all the bags and the drink bottles and the shoes and that kind of thing, you know, like for the younger kids, outfits laid out, like not having to think about those things in the morning makes such a difference. And um, I was going to share a baking tip, but actually mentioning my quiet time, I am going to give you my quiet time basket tip. Okay. I don't know what it's like for other women. Now that my kids are bigger, it's not such a thing. But when they were little, like my quiet time was basically wherever they were. 
and I mm. needed to be able to move around the house. And so I had a basket and in the basket were things like my Bible, my journal, pens, coloring pencils, maybe the book that I was reading, um, a scripture coloring book, a prayer book, like just the different things that I might want to draw on in my quiet time. Because I find if I have to find a pen, if I have to find some paper, if I have to try and find that book that I was last reading, I get distracted by all the other uh, things that need to happen in the house. Like I just walked past the laundry that needs to be done and the dishes on the sink and the quiet time doesn't end up happening because by the time I got the pen, it's like that window of time is gone. So yeah. I found it a really helpful thing to have a basket that everything was in and then I could simply take the basket to wherever my children needed me to be and, uh, um, it also enabled me to be spontaneous because if I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, you just need to read a devotional and just reflect. You don't need to do such heavy study this morning. It was like, it was there. If I felt like he was inviting me to do a scripture coloring page, it was there. If I felt like I needed to dig deep and journal some things, it was there. And so it not only helped those times happen, it helped them be creative and to just lean into how God was inviting me to connect with him in that busy season of children crawling all over the place and cartoons on in the background so quiet time basket it's I I love that great thing that is such a great thing. Man, I wish I had had that life back when my kids were little. That would, because you're right. Yeah, you just, you, if you leave the room, there's 27 <laughs> things that are going to suddenly jump to the top of your priority list. And totally, so. totally. And, you know, if you've got a sick kid or, you know, like I had a Velcro babe who just would not leave me alone. And so, you know, I couldn't be like, oh, you play with your toys and mommy's going to be in her room. It was like I needed to go wherever he was because otherwise he would not let me read my Bible. And so that was just like, cool, I'll just pick up my basket and I'll come watch you play blocks. Um, yeah. You know, so it was just really helpful. That's so good. I love that. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show and share about your book and share about your life story. And I feel like I hope you guys really caught. And in fact, listen to this episode a second time or a third time, because there's so many little wisdom nuggets in here that in different times of listening, you'll, you're going to grab different things that you didn't catch the first time and share this episode with a friend, man. There's so many really all of us, everybody in the world are going through the same thing right now, honestly. And I feel like the principles shared in this episode can just offer so much hope and strength for everything that we've been walking through. So Amy, thank you again for coming oh, on my show. It's so such a blessing. Me. It's been a Absolutely. Pleasure. Well, you guys have a wonderful week. Come back next week, Java with Jen. And don't forget we're on Tuesdays now instead of Thursdays. So, you know, if you wait till Thursday, just happy surprise. It's already up, you know? And so Tuesday I moved it so that those of you who listen on your commute have more days during the week to grab an episode. So you guys, thanks for coming. Check out javawithjenpodcast.com to see merches, uh, merches, good English, see the merch store, grab some coffee and uh, check out any past episodes you missed. Otherwise I'll see you on Instagram at Java with Jen. Love you guys. See you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, Hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. 
Also, don't miss our merch store where you can get super cool Java with Jen swag and coffee. Find it at javawithjenmerch.com. Until next time, remember, hearing God's voice is simple and he wants to be a part of your everyday life. See you next week.